Good morning, church. Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so glad you're here. This is a, a beautiful day that the Lord has made, and it's always such a pleasure to see these young families with these uh, little disciples, and it's uh, such a pleasure to be part of their lives and the influence of Christ. I know you feel the same. God bless you. Well, I have some new friends I want to introduce you to uh, today. As you know, Union Chapel has interest in planting churches here and there around the world, and we know that it's the most strategic thing that you can do to reach people who are far from God, starting new churches. And this is Kelly and Polly Barkle. They originally uh, grew up in Kentucky, uh, then lived in Georgia for a while, and now are in Daytona, Florida. Kelly's written a book, One Man, One Time. We have copies of this available if you'd like a copy after the service. And he has quite a story. And uh, one of the strategies that the Barkles have used in the past in Georgia, for example, and Valdosta there, was to reach people through a CrossFit gym. They're both uh, uh, CrossFit enthusiasts and, and have a, a wide variety of, of experiences in life that allow them to reach people who are far from God. And they use uh, the fitness world to attract people to hearing the gospel. And it's very, very exciting. So we've uh, recently uh, agreed to partner with them, and so we're trusting that God will allow them to plant a church in Daytona, Florida, here in the next uh, months and over the years. And I want to introduce them to you today and let you hear just a few minutes from Kelly and hear part of his story, and I know you'll be inspired by that. So Kelly and Polly, welcome. God thank bless you, you guys. Thank you. Love you. Thank you, Union Chapel. And thank you for partnering with us, and we appreciate you and appreciate just your selflessness to not only worry about Union Chapel Church in Muncie, Indiana, but also people and churches around the world. So thank you. Thank you for your leadership. My story starts uh, like yours when I was born. But about six months later, my mom asked my grandmother if she would watch my brother and I while she went to the store. And days went by, months went by. And what had happened was my mom didn't go to the store. She was addicted to heroin at the time. And so she didn't come back for a long time after that. And so my grandmother stayed and I was raised with my dad and my grandmother. And it was an unchurched home and unchurched neighborhood and unchurched family and unchurched city. I didn't know anybody really that knew God uh, through middle school and high school. Never, not one time ever invited to church Nobody tried to tell me about Jesus. I was suspended from kindergarten. I was kicked out of school completely in second grade. They told my dad I wasn't allowed back in until he took me to the doctor. Something's wrong with that kid. And failed fifth grade, and, and that just went on through school. And ninth grade, just became an alcoholic and a drug addict in ninth grade. And I was just a mess at 14 years old, and I fought all the way through. And still a godless existence. Nobody in my family knew Jesus and when I was in 10th grade, I started wrestling. And when I started wrestling, I, I was not good. And so I went into this club the first summer. And in the club, I just wrestled all year round. And the coach's name was Joe Neely. And so 11th grade came, and I wrestled 11th grade, did the club again. 12th grade came, and I kept wrestling. It was one of those deals where I, if I washed my coach's car you know he would make sure I had wrestling shoes if I cut his grass he made sure I got money to the tournament it was one of those deals and so I had a lot of respect for my coach when I was 18 a couple months before I graduated and didn't really have any purpose in life and still in lots of trouble all the time my wrestling coach Joe Neely one man 
one time invited me to church. Come on, say that with me. Ready? You got to get your point. You got to get your one finger ready. All right, on three. One, two, three. One man, one time invited me to church. This long-haired punk kid that knew nothing about church. and didn't know church words. and didn't know church things. And I went and it wasn't a cool church like this. I mean, this is awesome. It was like an old church with wooden pews and there was one lady playing the organ up there. And had the pipes behind me. But listen, I kept walking back every Sunday because he kept saying that Jesus loved me no matter what, no matter what I'd ever done. And I kept going and I felt that love. And it was just a few months later that he had given an invitation. And I walked down the aisle of that old church and sat in the first wooden pew. And this little lady sat next to me and asked me if I believed in Jesus. And I said, yes, I do. And she asked me if I believe that Jesus died for me and made a way for me to go to heaven. I said, yes, I do. And she prayed a prayer and I surrendered my life to Christ that day. And listen, it changed my life forever and not just my life but it changed so many people in my family from 1988 until 2002 I had prayed for my dad and prayed that my dad would give his life to Jesus and my dad had not gone to church he wouldn't even go to church for weddings and I kept praying for my dad and kept praying for my dad and anytime I got to be around my dad I would tell him my dad for a long time he'd he'd always tell his friends because he would brag on me like I was the good one you know and he would say yeah Kelly started being good when he went to church and I let my dad say that story for years and finally in about 2000, 2001, I told my dad one day, I said, dad, I said, you got to know. I said, dad, it wasn't church that changed my life. It was who I met at church. I said, dad, I found Jesus and Jesus changed my life. And I said, you just got to know it was Jesus And then it wasn't long after that, like I said, 2002, that I got a phone call from my dad. And at this time, we were living about 2,500 miles away. And my dad, at 64 years old, he called me on a Sunday afternoon. And he said, Kelly, he said, I just wanted to let you know. And he was kind of nonchalant. He said, I just want to let you know I went to church today. I said, Dad, you went to what? (laughs) He said, I went to church today. I said, Dad, that's amazing. That's awesome. And I couldn't wait for Christmas this year because we would always go home for Christmas. And I couldn't wait to go home for Christmas because I was going to be at my dad's church. And they sang some songs. And they did a little sermon, like 10 minutes, but it was all about Jesus and how God climbed down the staircase of heaven with a baby in his arms. And that was the greatest day of my life at the end of that service And the pastor stood and he gave an invitation and I looked at my dad and tears began to stream down my dad's face. And I grabbed my dad's hand who was big like Pastor Greg, like tall, not big, big like Pastor Greg. And I grabbed my dad's hand with tears in his eyes and I said the same question that that lady said to me when I was 18. I said, Dad, you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? My dad looked at me and he said, yes, I do. And I said, you believe Jesus died for you? He said, yes, I do. And my dad kind of tugged on me and started to walk down to the front of this old church at 64 years old. And we stood down there and held hands with my dad as my dad surrendered his life to Christ. And listen, until my dad died, he never missed a Sunday at church. And he was passing through where we had just planted a church in 2003. And, and, and we had a baptism service outside. And I baptized all these people. And I said, is anybody else here that knows Jesus and you want to be baptized? I wasn't really thinking about my dad. 
dad, but all of a sudden my dad jumped up and he ripped his shirt off. We were outside at a swimming pool. And so that was good. And I baptized my dad. And after my dad came up out of the water, my stepmom said, I want to be baptized too. And she kept her shirt on. So that was... And I baptized my stepmom too. And since that time, my half-sister has surrendered her life to Christ. My biological mom, before she passed away, I got to pray with her. She surrendered her life to Christ. My brother surrendered his life to Christ just recently, a couple years ago. My cousin, my favorite cousin that I grew up with. I did a missions trip back in my hometown with 10 boys who were in an after-school program with us. And my cousin surrendered her life to Christ. And a few years ago, my crazy aunt, everybody's got the crazy aunt. This was the crazy aunt. My crazy aunt called me. She said, Kelly, I want you to be the first to know that I go to church now. And I gave my life to Jesus. And now every, every weekend on social media, my aunt has posts out saying, if anybody needs a ride to church, let me know. And she's taking them all to church. And, and then like Pastor Greg said, the past several years, we've been, we just started this CrossFit really because we wanted to be around more unchurched people all week. And the very first week that we opened the doors about seven years ago, a man came in. His name was Josh Sullivan. And Josh Sullivan, he told me later, he said, I only been to church twice in my life. He said, once was to see my brother get baptized. I don't remember what the other time was, but he was not a Christian and he worked in a Christian environment. I know people have been praying for him his whole life, even in his family. And Josh and I became friends, and I was over at his house one evening after six, seven months into the relationship, and and we were watching Kentucky basketball, and come on, Kentucky basketball will lead you to heaven. And, uh, And Josh, he knew we were having a baptism service a few weeks out, and he said, Kelly, I want, I want to be baptized. And I said, Josh, why do you want to be baptized? And because I knew he never committed to Christ, and and he said, and he just began to tell me that he always felt like something was missing or there was no purpose. And since our relationship and since coming to CrossFit and just the coaches, you know, sharing Jesus with him, that he began to believe that that's what was missing. And he wanted to know Jesus and he wanted that joy. I said, Josh, I said, man, I usually ask people to repeat after me when they pray. I said, but will you just, let's close our eyes. And I said, will you just tell God what you just told me? And so at that time, 38 years old, we bowed our heads in his kitchen and Josh said that same thing to God and and he asked Jesus to come into his life and man, the gates of heaven opened up and the angels started to rejoice and two weeks later he was, he was baptized and he shared his testimony on a video that's on YouTube right now. You can see Josh's story and... um, But it was nine days after the baptism service that I got a call that he didn't show up for work. And Josh had passed away in the middle of the night. And this is a healthy 38-year-old that worked out every day. But something was wrong with his heart that had never been detected. And so I preached his funeral and shared that story. And his family was so excited to know that Josh had surrendered his life. And a year later, we started an after-school program called the Josh Sullivan Beat the Streets program. And that's where I went to the school and I told the principal what my wrestling coach told me because he said I was voted least likely to graduate in ninth grade. He said I won at the, the lunch, teacher's lunch. And 
So I told that principal, I want 10 boys that are least likely to graduate, and that's who we got. And listen, those boys are in 11th grade now, and I've baptized most all of them. They've, Cameron's given his life to Christ. Josh has given his life to Christ. Uh, Devontae gave his life to Christ, and his mom went in a one-year drug program and gave her life to Christ. And come on, do you know their story? Say it with me one time. One, two, three. One man, one time. And listen, let me end with this, is that I'm not special. I'm not special special at all I'm just Kelly Barker and I just surrendered my life to Jesus and listen I want you to know that you have the same power the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of you and every person that you're connected with needs you in their life to tell them about Jesus you can be the one person in somebody's life it might be your parents it might be a kid that's gone away from the Lord it might be a cousin or a friend or somebody you work with but man never hold hold back pray this is your prayer pray God give me an opportunity to share you with somebody and I'm telling you right now that's a prayer that God will always always answer come on you be the one say it one more time one man one time you be that person thank you pastor thank you pastor thanks Charles Thanks, Kelly and Polly. So glad to get better acquainted. We're a little concerned about Kelly's energy and enthusiasm, but otherwise we think he's going to be very effective. (laughs) That's great. Well, uh, we are on a series now called Struggles. The unintended consequences, negative consequences of social media. Now, it's not just about social media, and we're not opposed to social media, of course. I mean, we leverage it all the time to preach the gospel and and get the message out and help people reach and connect with people. But we also are learning that there's a downside to this media. We've been talking about these struggles that are inherent to the influence of social media. And today I want to talk about authenticity. And if you don't know this, Most of the emerging generations, the youngest among us, if you ask them their highest values and their worldview, what's most important to you in life, authenticity will be at or near the top of the list of most emerging culture. And so it's a very important topic, very critical issue. And so we want to address it today and learn ways that we can be more authentic, all right? Our text this morning is from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. Now let me give you some context as you're turning there, if you have your Bible. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to convince them that the new covenant, the work that Jesus Christ has done for us, is greater than the old covenant, the law that was given to Moses, and people in the Old Testament followed that law the best they could. But since Jesus arrived, a new covenant I make with you, God has made with us. And so Paul's simply trying to convince the Corinthian church that this is a greater covenant. To use an illustration, he's talking about Moses when he went on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. He came down after 40 days from Sinai, and he had been in the presence of God, and the glory of God was on his face. I mean, his face was actually uh, showing forth the glory of God. And what we'll find here is that Moses had to veil his face. We'll find out why he veiled his face. And that will be the application or the analogy, the metaphor, if you will, 
of the apostle helping us realize that most of us tend to veil our faces and become a bit authentic as, inauthentic as a result. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin at verse 18. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, thanks for doing that. And Paul writes, we are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Now here's what's being, meant, being communicated. Moses put a veil over his face, not because the glory of God was, was disruptive to the Israelites, you know, kind of too too much, too scary, too awesome, whatever. The reason he veiled his face is because the glory of God that shone on his face when he first came down off the mountain was now fading away. So Moses veiled his face so the Israelites couldn't see that the glory was actually leaving his face. That's interesting, isn't it? But that's the, that's the context. Verse 11. We start at verse 13. So we can't be, go to verse 11. Verse 14, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. So he's mentioning that when the Old Testament, the law of Moses is read for the Israelites, the Jews, it's hard for them to see the new covenant. So their, their hearts are veiled as a result. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all know who, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, may God give us insight into this important truth today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, listen to this number. Listen to this number, somewhere between 95 million and 150 million people take a selfie every day. 95 to 150 million selfies are taken every day. Now, if you don't know what a selfie is, and there may be someone who doesn't know what one is, this is when you use your phone and you put it on the, the camera and you flip the image around so you can see yourself, and you actually take a picture of yourself. That's a selfie. 100 million plus every day in today's world. Now, if you're younger listening to the sound of my voice today, it may be difficult for you to understand, but my generation, I'm a baby boomer. The generation behind me, Generation X, and then millennials after that, even the millennials now are old enough to identify with this, we would never, our generations who are older, would have never turned a camera on ourselves. I mean, it's just something we didn't do. And this is a kind of a new thing then in today's culture. The reality is that we actually hated taking pictures back in the day. In fact, if you're a little older, you can resonate with this, that one of the worst days growing up in school was picture day. You remember picture day? It was horrible. I mean, your mother fussed over you, you know, before you went. You had to put on a clean shirt and, and you know, just had to get all put together. And the pictures were actually just, it was one take. There was a photographer there. He didn't want to be there any more than you did. And you would sit down and snap. There it, there it went. Next. And we're moving these kids through. So if you, had, if you had your eyes closed, too bad. If your hair was out of 
too bad. If you had a booger hanging out of your nose, it's there in the yearbook immemorial. You can look, go back to sixth grade and there's that booger. I, I, there's, there's no second chance. And then you'd have to wait weeks for the pictures to come back. And you take this little picture that you got, this little proof, you take it home, you say, Mom and Dad, do we have enough money to buy the whole packet of pictures? And they would routinely say, we're not buying those ugly pictures. What are you talking about? <laughs> we got two five-by-sevens, one for Grandma, and then some pocket deals. That's it. And that was all there was to it. And then you had to wait longer for the yearbook to come out. And then, of course, that's what it is and forever. And it was horrible. And so things have massively changed. Now we're a selfie-obsessed culture. We'll take a picture of ourselves, then we put a filter on it, then we color it, then we contrast it, then we remove all the blemishes. If you've got a, if you've got a pimple on your cheek, no problem. We'll just edit that out. But here we are in this selfie-centered world taking pictures of ourselves and putting filters on it to make sure that the image is exactly the way we want to portray it. Now, here's the message today, if you have an ear to hear it. It's very simply this. The more filtered our lives become, meaning the more we show others the me we want them to see, the more filtered our lives become, the more difficult it is to be authentic. Now, let, let that sink. Let that sink in. Culturally, we're being trained to filter the picture then edit the caption, then make sure you get the right hashtag on it. We edit it perfectly, filter it. We send it out there so the rest of the world can affirm us. Now, three quick points today. The first one's this, if you're following the outline. People are starting to fear and avoid unfiltered communication. For example, we're so used to being able to edit what we say and filter what we show, people are very nervous about actually talking to other people. There are a lot of people, you know this is true, if you're, especially if you're younger, you know this is true, that are creating online personalities that just simply are fake. Actually building profiles on a social media page that has nothing to do with reality. The pictures are fake, the stories are fake, the, the, the status in life is fake, the income is fake. There's a whole program now that MTV airs called Catfish. This is where people actually become romantically involved with profiles of people that, that aren't true at all. It's crazy. And so there, there, there is a younger generation that are becoming uncomfortable in a conversation that they cannot control. Now, back when, when I was growing up, and some of you older ones will, will remember this very well. And now listen, young people, this will blow your mind that we actually, when the phone rang back in the day, we actually didn't know who was calling. <laughs> we didn't know who it was. The phone was just ringing. So if you want to know who it is, you got to pick it up. So you pick it up, you say hello, and you start a conversation. You find out who was on the other end, and then you had to start talking. You didn't know what people wanted. You didn't know who it was. You didn't know what they might ask you. And so we learned how to have unfiltered communication. Just casual conversation with people. Today, a phone call comes in, and this is a stress, especially true with the younger. The phone rings, even the caller ID, you know who it is, and you just go, eh. <laughs> so you let it go to voicemail. 
And then you control the response. And very rarely, the younger you are, the less likely you are to actually return a call. You will typically consider how you're going to respond to this voicemail you received, and it'll be in the form of a text more often than not. And, 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 and so this is, this is a whole, this is a whole, uh, a whole issue now that is emerging in the, in the behaviors of people who have been so engaged in social media. Uh, one young girl said, I'm so nervous to talk on the phone about what I'll do. I'll script out what I'm going to say before I make the call. I think it through. And when she was asked, what type of phone conversation would you script? And she said, you know, if I'm like ordering a pizza, I'm going to write it down, what I'm going to say. For example, I'm going to start by saying hello. And then I'm going to tell them what pizza I want. Because otherwise, I get too nervous to have this unscripted conversation. Now, don't be shocked because this is a very normal thing with a generation that hasn't been exposed to learning how to communicate in an unfiltered way. Some speculate that about 75% of youth today will script their words before making a call because they're so used to being in control of the conversation. My point again, and let me just make it clearly, the more filtered our lives are, the more difficult it is to be authentic. So Paul's talking about, in our text today, about Moses ascending to the Mount Sinai and coming down, and his face is, is showing forth the glory of God. It's starting to quickly fade, and so he veils his face so the Israelites can't see the fading process. And it implies that he did not put on the veil to protect people from seeing the glory, but to keep people from seeing the diminishing glory on his face. So Paul was actually showing the Corinthians how much greater the new covenant was, but illustrating this point by suggesting that Moses covered his face so that he could present an image to people around him that he wanted to control. We can all identify with Moses. Yes, we can. The problem is most of us are wearing a veil. And with the aid of social media, we've become very skilled at filtering our lives and show other people the me that I want them to see. And we all suffer from this condition. And when we're insecure, and this is what drives it, this is what motivates it, we don't feel good about ourselves when we sin. Rather than confessing our sin and getting it exposed before God so we can forgive it, we tend to hide and put on a veil and filter our lives. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were in a, this pristine paradise of Eden. The Bible says that God would walk with, with, with Adam in the cool of the day, have fellowship, Adam with God every day. One, one day, God shows up to the garden for his chat with Adam, and Adam's nowhere to be seen. Adam, where are you? Adam's hunkered down behind a bush. Why? Because sin had entered the world and shame and guilt along with it and this insecurity. Now I'm afraid. The Bible actually uses these words. I heard you when I was in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? God asked. And now he starts covering himself, Adam and Eve now with, with leaves and foliage because they're ashamed and they're afraid. And all of us have suffered from that same shame and same fear ever since, this insecurity that causes us to put masks on, to wear veils, to keep people from seeing the real me. And social media fosters this imitation, this filtering, this veiling. 
You might be on your social media page, super spiritual guy or super spiritual gal. You know, the picture you post is a cup of coffee on the kitchen table with an open Bible, your favorite verse. So close to Jesus today. Super spiritual. Or maybe you're the with it mom. You know, here's, here's a picture of my kitchen with the baked goods for my kids. You know, here I am at soccer practice. Here are my children on the first day of school with their matching lunch boxes. Many times, though, the same folks who are posting stuff like that actually feel overwhelmed. Mothers who feel overworked, feel like they don't have any friends, feel like they don't have a life, and deep down don't believe they're a good mother. Or maybe you're a super dad, and your, your, your post, your media post is all about hanging out with your kids. Here I am pushing my kids on a swing. Here I am at the practice. You know, I'm always there for my kids. But deep down inside, you actually feel like a failure as a father. You know you're short with your kids. You know you don't really engage with them at an emotional, deep emotional level. You're working too much. But here's the dad I want you to see. Then there's protein shake guy. You know him. He's, he's good at selfies. He's at Kelly's CrossFit Center, and he's building his muscles. His picture has him with a protein shake. He doesn't want you to know he ate a whole bag of chips the night before, and he actually worships at, the, at Baskin Robbins. You know, that's where he goes more than to church. But he's protein shake guy. Or how about the oblig, oblig, obligatory anniversary picture? How about that one? Here I am with my honey. We're best friends. My little poo bear. Been married eight years. So sweet. Hey, look, we're your neighbor. We know it's not going that well. We, we hear what's going on. Yeah. You don't really have a good marriage, but this is the me you want us to see. There are people in our world, maybe you know people like this, probably you do, you can kind of suspect it if you look at their media posts, but they actually live their lives now in order to create a social media moment. They wake up in the morning and think, okay, who, what picture should I take today? What places should I visit? What vacation should I plan? What social gatherings sh- should, should I, should I uh, uh, participate in? All of it around the notion of taking the right pictures, putting in the right quotes, giving the right impression that my life is wonderful. It's crazy time. It's crazy time because it's all filtered. Now, here's a standard. I've been trying to help you with some boundaries and parameters in each of these subjects through this series. I want to put this on the screen for you. I want to drive this home. Here's a standard that I hope you'll, you'll, you'll agree to. Everything we say about ourselves should be true, but everything true does not have to be shared on social media. Especially if you're the younger, would you please listen to this? Don't overshare. TMI, too much information. Pray for my daughter. She's so rebellious. That's helpful. That's really helpful. How do you you imagine that that's going to be beneficial to your daughter? One lady wrote on Facebook, and this is a quote, pray for my husband. She puts her name and his name. He's the biggest jerk who's ever lived. I can't stand him. I don't want to be married to him another day. Unless the Lord Jesus redeems his soul, I have no place in my heart for this man. Please pray for my husband. 
Well, you read that and you go, yeah, I'm going to pray for him because he's married to you. You're stupid. How dumb do you have to be? Put something like that on social media. So we, we're afraid and we avoid unfiltered communication. Now, here's the second thing. You might want to write this down. A veil that covers, first covers the face eventually covers the heart. A veil that covers the face usually eventually covers the heart. You see, what starts out as superficial becomes a spiritual condition. So now we have a generation that has been so conditioned to filter everything that they don't know how to be themselves. They don't know how to be real. They don't know how to open up to themselves or to be themselves. Let me ask you, is there anybody in your life who knows the real you? Is there anybody that you can share the deepest part of, parts of your heart? Let me tell you, if the answer is no to those questions, I can tell you what the key is. The key is insecurity. The key is that you're afraid that if people find out what you're really like, who you really are, they won't like you. And this isn't just a, a, a young people, 20-something problem. This is a problem in the human race, isn't it? That insecurity keeps all of us from being real and as authentic as we should be. And, and, and so the reality is that there are so many parts of so many of us that we're not sharing and we haven't shared for maybe decades now that we have this veil on. We play the part, we're playing the role, we're play acting, but actually we're nothing more than hypocrites because what we portray through social media has very little to do with reality. And some people are so used to showing the fake self that they don't even know who they, the real self is anymore. Folks actually are losing themselves and their self-awareness, and their self-identity. I was being interviewed recently for some podcasts, and the question was asked, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing in life? Now, you might think I would go, well, having a faith in Jesus Christ. Well, it's right there. But the benefit, the first and most important benefit of having a relationship with Jesus Christ is you become self-aware. Self-awareness is the most important thing in life. If you know who you are and who made you who you are and you give God glory and credit for that, you can go through this life and figure it out. But you've got to know who you are. It's not how many followers you have, it's who you are following that matters most. Hope you have an ear for that. So all this time we've been living for likes and at the same time longing for love, something more substantial. And so what I'm describing to you about meaningful relationships and being authentic in those relationships, let me put this on the screen for you. We may impress people with our strengths, but we actually connect through our weaknesses. You've, you've followed people on social media, and, and when you met them, you thought you'd never like them because they're perfect. But after you got to know them a little bit and realized they have stinky feet just like you do, you started liking them. Kelly Barkle, he's seven years old. His mother comes home or drops him off with his grandmother and says, I have to go to the grocery store. She's gone for seven years. She's a heroin addict. How do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you get confused and you get angry and you get lost. You just get lost. And you get broken.
And you don't know who you are until you meet Jesus Christ. And now you become self-aware. And you know who you are and you know who made you who you are. And not only, not only am I grateful that the God who made me can actually reclaim me and restore me and redeem me from all of my brokenness, none of which was my fault, but all of my brokenness. And not only can I be a whole person, but now I can influence people around me. Who goes to the principal of the local school and say, who are the 10, 10 boys in your school who are, who are least likely to graduate? Give me the names of those boys. Send them to me. Because I have a lot in common with them. And I can influence them for Christ. <laughs> who does that? That's remarkable, isn't it? And so that leads us to this last point. Only Christ can remove the veil. Only Christ can remove it. Whenever you turn to the Lord, there are some of you here in this moment listening online. You are here for this particular moment. You are here for this event in this moment. This is just for you. Now listen, to, every, to everyone who is unaware ultimately of who you are, afraid to reveal yourself, wearing a mask, all veiled up all the time, you live for the approval of others. You're just hoping somebody's going to like and like what you post and befriend you. And what you're really desperate for, what you're really longing for, what you really need most is, is you need Christ. This is, this is where I can give some, some, some practical advice. You know, try to be yourself. That's good advice. Or don't use a filter to portray yourself. That's good advice. Or try not to care so much about what other people think. That's good advice. But here's the godly advice. Find Christ. Who, whoever turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 2 Corinthians 3.16. You're no longer living for the approval of people but you're living by the approval of God. You recognize I am acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He is my all in all. He is my sufficiency. He is my source. He is my identity. He is my hope. My relationship with him changes everything. That's why we all with unveiled faces, warts and blemishes, imperfections and all, contemplate the Lord's glory and therefore being transformed into his image. Not the expectations of anyone else, but according to his glory and his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is our hope, this is our life, this is our future. So how do you get an unveiled face? You turn to the Lord. The veil is taken away, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ not for the approval of people, but for the glory of God. We are not called to elevate ourselves, but to die to ourselves so that he might be elevated. And in so doing, we find meaning, significance, purpose, and the identity for which we were created, and ultimately the purpose, destiny for our lives. Turn to the Lord. Anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There's the good news. And there's the hope. That's the antidote to a social media culture that fosters fake, phony, 
unreal, fake, 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 and transforms us into authentic, authentic followers of Jesus who know who we are and why we are here. Amen. Let's pause and pray about this for a moment. Father, we pray you would give us the power to turn to you. And I know that for some of you, as I've been talking this morning, you recognize that you've got a filter on. You you wear a veil. And I'd argue that every single one of us, because of our own brokenness, at one time or another, we all do this. And the Spirit of God is speaking through this message today. I know He is. And you're longing for your identity to be in Him. So if you will turn to the Lord, He will remove that veil. So, Father, we thank you so much. Where your spirit is, there is freedom. And, God, we thank you that you've got a life that is deep and meaningful and fulfilling for each one of us. Here's the promise. When we turn to God, the veil is removed and we are free. Now, I'd like you to pray out loud. Would you do it? Pray out loud after me, just in support of anyone praying this prayer for the first time, but supporting anyone who may be close to you, maybe in your home, somewhere where you're watching online, pray this out loud just to be supportive and encouraging to others. Are you ready? After me, out loud. Heavenly Father, today I'm turning to you, trusting that you will remove the veil of sin. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, would you stand with us?